Viewpoints is VHB's thought leadership platform, where we share insights on critical issues and emerging technologies in the AEC industry. I'm Mike Carragher, President and CEO of VHB. I'm excited to introduce VHB's thought leaders and our client and partner podcast participants, all future-focused thinkers who want to reimagine the built environment. I hope you'll tune in often and leave inspired. This is Dave Mahon, VHB's Chief Technology Officer. And I'm your host for Viewpoint's podcast, Episode 4, Modeling Change, How Model-Based Design is Transforming the AEC Industry. Today, I'm joined by two guests, my colleague Kyle Rosemeyer, VHP's Model-Based Design Lead for Bentley Services, and Francois Valois, Bentley's Systems Vice President of Civil Infrastructure. Today, we're going to have a conversation around the impacts and adoption of model-based design technology across the AEC industry, our clients, and our communities. Before we dig into the technology and how it's changing the way we understand and build infrastructure, Francois, can you let the listeners know how you're involved with model-based design at Bentley? Yeah, I'm Francois Valois. I'm VP of Civil Engineering at Bentley. So I'm part of a group uh, that's called the Engineering Applications. So we essentially are enabling engineering, uh, you know, technology across, you know, Bentley, right? And the Civil Engineering team is responsible for uh, the product development uh, of uh, products like open roads, open bridge, uh, open tunnel, open site. Um, and, and we also enable our digital twin technology to be civil friendly and civil uh, ready, right? Um, so uh, this is something that we are focused on uh, at the moment and really advancing that idea of model-based digital delivery uh, and digital twin uh, for infrastructure uh, in general and and road and and and, and specifically as well in that context. Um, uh, my background is I'm a surveyor by training, uh, so I've studied surveying, geomatic engineering to be precise, and uh, I've, I've never actually been a surveyor in, in the world, uh, but always been in technology. Um, so I worked for Esri before. Uh, in, uh, in California and then being at Bentley for 18 years plus uh, in various roles and product management and, uh, and, and different type of product engineering. And now um, as a VP, I'm, I'm leading that R&D team. Uh, I think I have the best team in the world uh, to really advance these products. And we're trying to really change the world in our own ways every day, right? Wake up in the morning and and to really delight our users uh, to really advance uh, the world of infrastructure, you know, through our little lens and through our humble contribution in there. Well, that's awesome. So um, excited to actually really have this conversation on model-based design. Um, as as we've talked about, uh, there's an extreme buzz in the industry um, around the future of design, digital design services. Um, it's great, Francois, I appreciate you and Kyle joining today uh, to talk through what model-based design is, you know, to talk about what it means for the future uh, of really our digital design services and where the industry is in, in general is going. But it's a little bit of uh, background on me. So I joined the uh, kind of in industry in my first internship at the Idaho Transportation Department way back in 2007. And uh, ever since uh, I started that internship and I worked on like my first, you know, real engineering project, uh, it was using, uh, you know, Bentley inroads at that time. So that was the first time I saw, you know, templates and 3D models. And I just thought, oh, this is amazing. And, uh, you know, fast forward to now, uh, you know, I got a chance to do the Bentley Premier Scholar program in 2021. And then now I'm uh, working over at VHB as a model-based design leader and helping bring that uh, that knowledge and help the company move forward, you know, with uh, models as the center of our projects. And it's just so much fun. I literally am having like the most fun every day that I'm working and it's just fantastic. So I really appreciate you guys over at Bentley. Uh, I really believe- part of the first cohort, right? Maybe second cohort or something open? That's right. Yeah, I was in the second cohort. That's right. That's great. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell um, the the audience a little bit about Bentley. You know, tell us a little bit about Bentley, the uh, vision where you guys are going uh, and where you you see model-based design going at um, under the services. 
Right. Bentley is a software company, obviously. Um, uh, we're around, around a billion dollar in revenue. Uh, we're US-based, but we have colleagues globally. And, and we are, we think, the infrastructure company, software infrastructure company. Uh, so we serve, uh, you know, our users. Uh, we, we don't call our customers customers. We call them users because we want to work with them in a, in a long-term relationships and, and advance the, the world of infrastructure. Um, and, uh, and we do that among different domains, right? Heavy civil being uh, probably in transportation being probably one of our largest segment, but we also serve energy, water, uh, you know, plant, uh, you know, building and, and, and different other industries as well. Um, and uh, being around for a long time, 35 plus years, um, you know, started in the basement of our founders, Keith Bentley, and, uh, and, and where we are, right? Um, and uh, we are uh, transforming ourselves, just I think, like the market to become the digital twin uh, company uh, uh, for infrastructure. Uh, and uh, why we think we're uniquely positioned to do that is our root in, in the design aspect and this understanding of 3D and what it takes to have engineering ready digital twin, right? It's one thing to have uh, pretty pictures, but what does it mean to do this when you are uh, uh, in civil, right? And you are building some of the, the world's most important infrastructure, the bridges, the roads that basically allows us to move our goods and people around, you know? Uh, so it's really, really funda fundamental in the society, right, in there. Um, to me, model-based digital delivery is all about um, designing our infrastructure uh, using smart 3D models. So 3D is one aspect, right? The, the, the Z dimension, and the, but, but make those models semantically rich, right? Make those models semantically rich. There's also this idea of using the model for a simulation, right? So whether you're, you're using these models to really sort of make decisions and drive you know, your design decisions. So that's a key, key element in there. It's not only about the geometry and these things. It's like, okay, can I use these models for various, you know, 4D analysis and 5D analysis when it comes to time and cost elements in there, um, but also things like safety, clash detections, and these things that makes it makes these models useful. So that's one aspect is the model itself has to be able to do all of this. But as I mentioned earlier, Bentley wants to be the digital twin company for infrastructure. Right, so a digital twin, as we all know, is this this you know digital representation in the computer, right, uh, of a physical asset. But it, uh, where does it start? It starts by the work of our civil designers, right? There, these people are creating models, and and a good model to me uh, is a model that will be uh, useful beyond design. So this model will basically be able to be uh, used for the design itself. Will improve the design phase to make the right decisions and so on, but will also survive in the construction phase and even in the operational phase, right? Because all of this is, it would have been told through that we wanna be operating that bridge in the future, 50 years down the line. I have been thinking about the sort of attributes and the sort of things I have to consider on that bridge or that road so that it can be operating forever, right? And that's the sort of idea, right? So having all that information attached to the model uh, and, 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 and the deliver in, in an open way as well. I think the notion of openness is so, so key in this in this thing, right? Be able to uh, deliver either with our iTwin platform, for example, that is open source and open, but also in things like IFC, right? It is becoming a, a you know funda fundamental to the to the to the civil market um, on this this notion of uh, industry uh, foundation class, right? Uh, where that was adopted in, in by Ashto uh, in 2019 as the delivery mechanism for for civil, right? So I think this is fundamental there. Um, so this notion of you know, the model being the base for digital twin of the future, right? Um, you know, that's, to me, that's really, really key in what model-based, um, you know, design has to be. Um, Kyle, I want to turn to you. Um, and, you know, you, you're leading BHP's model-based design uh, for the Bentley side, right? And what really got you into it? And then maybe also if you, like uh, Francois, can maybe define very simplistically what is model-based design? Yeah, thanks, Dave. And, and Francois, I really like what you said about, uh, you know, the, the digital twin living beyond design. Uh, this is something I think that is uh, very fundamental for people to understand, but also very disruptive to the current processes and 
you know, policies even of how infrastructure works uh, around the world. Uh, the idea that, you know, a model could actually be the, the center of everything with infrastructure. And I've heard this referred to uh, as the common data environment by FHWA and uh, DOTs like Florida. And th this is really, uh, really impactful, I think. And to me, model-based design, this is the focus of all of the engineering intent. And, and actually, this is really helpful for me to put into perspective with how engineers have been working since there's been engineers, right? We've always focused all of our design, all of our decisions and analysis, and the product that we produce to go get built has always been based around some kind of plan, right? That's been the, the medium that engineers have conveyed engineering services forever. And the plans have gotten smarter, right? We moved from paper-based plans to CAD-generated plans, and then we went from you know CAD-generated plans to PDFs. Uh, so the, even though those things have been getting smarter, it's never changed from plans until now. Having model-based design for digital delivery, this means that that focus of the intent from the engineering is going from plans to a model, right? From which other things can be rendered. Like you can obviously render plans from a model, but the plans are not the focus of the entire engineering team. And this is uh, a very uh, big change to how people work uh, today. I think this is gonna be uh, one of the most challenging aspects of the next era of infrastructure is taking an entire workforce of engineers, designers, project managers, clients, contractors, everyone that it takes to build infrastructure and move them there and the way they think, right? From a plan focused thing to a model focused thing. Nice. So I, I, I think that is gonna be great. I mean, I can't wait for it. And I'm really excited to, to be in a position where I can make a, a meaningful impact um, at VHB around our, our plans and evolution towards that goal. Uh, but that, that's, uh, that's what I think of when I think of model-based design. Yeah, you're right, Kat. It's all about data, right? It's all about the mm -hmm. data. And that's a, that's a mindset shift in our engineering workforce, as you said, that is really, really key, right? So, as, you know, Kyle, I hear you talking and it, it brings me back to a, a memo that was found by one of our colleagues back in, you know, in, in the early 90s. So in 1987, there was a memo drafted. Uh, that basically was this digital transformation from going uh, from the drafting board to CAD design. And it seems like we're full life cycle back to that same stage, right? It's eminent. It is coming, guys, in terms of model-based design. You know, it's it's one of those that uh, in this memo, just to highlight some of the context uh, for the listeners, it, it said not every uh, project would be suited for CAD. Just replace a word with model-based design, right? So not every project would be suited for model-based design. Not a magic box that will solve every problem, right? CAD is entirely a new skill for engineers and formal training cannot be ignored. Just replace the word with model-based design. Model-based design is an entirely new skill for engineers and formal training cannot be ignored. I mean, what a great story to sit here and say, you know, we're we're here you know, ne nearly two decades later, and we're basically doing and living this digital transformation that's happening today. If you had to tell the CEO sitting somewhere that is not using it today, here's the top benefits that you're seeing. You know, Kyle as a practitioner and Francois, somebody that's actually pushing this out across the globe. What is the top benefits? Yeah, every single company on the planet right now is facing one fundamental problem. It's labor shortage, right? Um, there's not enough people to do the work, plain and simple. There's so much demand and, uh, and that's basically what drives, you know, when we're talking about the infrastructure plans in the U.S. and that's around the world as well, right? There's so much demand for this. And then every single business is faced by, how oh, am I going to meet that demand? How oh, am I going to survive and try for the future? Uh, so the number one thing that I would say tell the CEO is that it's needed for your survival because you need to be able to do things, uh, more things with less, right? And that's what digital delivery and, and model base will help you do. Uh, things like reduction of the amount of plans being produced, 
just that it, our engineers today spend so much time producing these plans. Other things would be augmenting the level of communication and understanding between those people. So they work on the same things and have this common data environment we've been talking about. And things like spotting issues early, producing higher level of quality in these designs, because the time you save in, in not producing plan, you can focus on the design, you know, and that's really fundamentally what, what we should be spending. And I noticed I said reduce the number of plans. I didn't say eliminate those because we need a plan is a useful representation of the world, right? But it's built from the model and it's not only created as a plan itself. So, uh, and then and then this is this is one thing for the um, engineering contractor, but I think for the industry in general, there's a bigger benefit. Um, I, I I call that a, a systemic improvement. Think about this. It's it's making the life of an engineers and and ECs more productive and so on. We just establish that. Let's hope that's the case. And I have a number of examples we'll talk about later. But then think about what we can do if we take this and then, uh, you know, shovel this into a machine and eventually robots and this sort of things that really will automate our construction. And like this is going to be, you know, pushing the envelope. And this same data is used in operations as well. So you're basically creating a systemic gain. And that's why we should all embrace that model-based digital delivery uh, notion, right? Because it helps our firm, right, EC firms, uh, engineering contractor firm, become more effective, producing more work, uh, and so on, but also help the industry in general becoming more effective. And, you know, I encourage all the owners uh, listening out there, please demand that, right? And, and this is this is how you, you know, this is this is where it needs to start, right, from the, the, the owners of the infrastructure itself. That's great. Uh, Kyle, from your perspective as a user, what's, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the top benefits? Yeah, I, I love that uh, response, Francois. The, uh, the, the idea that we would have a automated construction environment that could run 24-7 with minimal human input, this is a future that would be hard to believe right now. But this is possible when you have really accurate model data that you can deliver to uh, a contractor with the right equipment. Uh, and I, I think that just like back to Dave's 1987 memo, the, the conversations that were had at that time about incorporating personal computers, things seemed really hard to believe back then. You know, so a lot of a lot of hard dis discussions had to happen around what this was, what PCs were going to mean to the world and how things were going to change. And not a lot of people were able to see that fully. Uh, but you look back now at, at the 80s and you say, yeah, of course, we're not deciding we're going to do any plans by hand. Of course, we're using the computer, right? And I think that some of these things that seem hard to believe now will feel like this in, in another, you know, 10 to 20 years. Um, now, I, I just want to add on to what Francois said, because I believe everything that 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 he had to, to answer that question. But I think that, uh, that there's an analogy I like to share around the value of model-based design. And this is a very simple thing, a meeting. If you just think about a meeting where people have to come together and decide something, there is this skill that engineers uh, are usually very proud of called, you know, spatial, spatial thinking, being able to look at a set of plans and assemble the thing in their mind's eye. So they know in 3D what, what the project is, right? So if you think about any meeting that happens where multiple people have to come together and work out a problem and agree on a solution. They are having to look at the same input data, right? Plan sheets, profile sheets, cross-sections, details, plan notes. They're looking at all this information. Everyone at that table has to assemble in their mind's eye the 3D thing that they're trying to decide about. Then they have to agree on what to do and then walk away from the meeting. Now, how many meetings have you guys been to where you felt like everyone was in unanimous agreement on what we're going to do? But then you start hearing from people an hour or two later and you realize everyone walked away with a different uh, understanding of what we just agreed on. This happens all the time, right? And that simple um, uh, point, uh, a meeting, this happens, right, millions of times, uh, maybe millions of times a day. I don't know how many times it happens, but this is happening all the time, right? All project teams, all engineering teams, all construction teams have to have meetings. And when you can bring a fully 3D model with all of the engineering intent applied and extractable from that model to a meeting, 
you don't have to play the game of telephone anymore because the source of truth is obvious to everyone. People who have mastered spatial thinking and people who have not mastered spatial thinking. The ability to communicate uh, difficult things between parties is going to be monumentally better than it is with plans. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just going to change so much about what we can accomplish with any given scope, schedule, and budget. Yeah. I mean, no. maybe, maybe adding an example to what you said, I have in front of me here a, a use case, right? At uh, UDOT, right? On the I-80 westbound widening project, not a huge project, right? I mean, those people are essentially reporting the fact that they use digital delivery and digital twins to improve the communication among the team members, right? And the contractor in resolving the issues ahead of things. Save one month on the project, right? I mean, how much saving is this? And take that, that's one small project, take it across the industry. That's billions and billions of dollars of saving, right? Another team here on I-10 in Florida is basically saying they say they save $2.15 million, right? On on not also that large project. And and another one is basically saying, you know, 20 to 30%, you know, savings on the design review time. I mean, this is real money, right? So it's wonderful. It's just making everybody more productive in that context. Yeah, something you said earlier actually really resonated in it. And Kyle, it also goes to your point about um, you know, the the conversations around it. You know, when you you mentioned the augmented common data environment, if you think about that and really for the listeners to to basically think about how and what that means. Again, simplistically, you think about all the different services that get put into a digital delivery, right? And having them all sit in inside a digital plan set and doing review. Kyle, we've spent time talking about this. Maybe you can elaborate on some of the services that would be pulled into it, you know, and talk about the different, you know, fundamental engineering services that could be pulled in into one, you know, one digital design services. Yeah. I mean, this is something that uh, is really all inclusive, right? We can pull in, um, Everyone from planners to uh, one of my favorites is actually um, a business uh, or what I say is um, client focused uh, staff and companies where you're out actually just doing business development and proposals. Uh, there's a lot of tools out there like Bentley's concept station that I like to pitch to all folks at that level as the napkin. Right. If you have an idea and you want to sketch it down to share with someone, use a tool like Concept Station, and you will have the most compelling napkin out of anyone else. Right. Your ability to quickly communicate things through a 3D model uh, is is so easy and fast uh, it, with a product like Concept Station. So I, I I love sharing that example, and we have got some great stories at VHB of people who have been using uh, conceptual tools like this. Uh, just to have those initial conversations with their clients around what problems they're trying to solve, what what are some ideas on what we might be able to do about it, uh, you know, being able to provide something through, uh, you know, through a model is just so compelling. You know, I guess that kind of gets back to the point about it being a communication tool. Uh, but this is something that uh, you know maybe a lot of people might not think about when they think about model based design that that it does it does include things like that. Um, and then obviously all, all, uh, different disciplines across, uh, you know, the, the design services all have a place, uh, you know, when you think about like, uh, say traffic, uh, you know, actually let's take traffic control, uh, or maintenance of traffic, uh, maybe another way to say it. Uh, this is honestly one of the most complicated parts, uh, of a highway project. It's not the final design. It's actually, how do you go about building it without, turning the traffic off, right? Where do you put those cars while you're trying to build the project? And the ability to visualize that through 3D models, it, it makes it uh, so much easier to work through the problems, but also it makes the solution so much more compelling. Because when you have the solution uh, for each phase of the traffic control, uh, it's, it's much more likely that you didn't overlook some fatal flaw that's gonna cause a, you know, a rework of the plan once you get out to the site. Uh, and then obviously all, all of the, um, you know, complementary disciplines to, uh, to roadway and highway, you know, drainage and uh, signing and pavement markings, uh, signalization, uh, all of these things can easily be represented in a 3D model and seeing those elements in a model, uh, not only 
again, helps that visualization of the project be much more compelling. But when you have all disciplines participating in a model, this allows for the review and analysis of safety of like subsurface uh, conflicts. Uh, uh, I mentioned safety, but so like vertical clearances, uh, lateral offsets to hazards, all of these things now can be not only easily seen, but measured uh, in a 3D model. Uh, things like sight lines. If you uh, use the Sightline tool in Open Rose Designer, you get 3D sight lines. If all of the hazards, uh, you know, posts and uh, buildings, um, uh, sign structures, all of these things, if they're all in your model, you're going to have a really complete picture of what the driver is going to see when they're driving on your project. This makes for for better analysis and better design, right? And if we're doing those designs in less time, we're we have more ability to iterate those designs. So this means better things are going to be built in the world, right? The more we incorporate all of the different disciplines. So, so Francois, the perception of a lot of folks is that model-based design is for roadways, right? Um, that's what we, we started to hear this years ago. And it's certainly not the case. If you think about where, you know, the trends are going from your perspective and what you're seeing in the industry, um, what other areas do you see it going, um, outside of just pure roadway, um, you know, out in the market today? Yeah. I mean, road is a big driver, uh, on, on the road, of course, you can include the bridges, right? Often bridges are the complex structure and they, I think will, will definitely benefit from, from this sort of model-based digital delivery concept, uh, just as much, if not more than the, the, the roadway itself, Right. Uh, but because they're complex, because they're they're hard to build, because they are sort of massive and expensive, right? Uh, but then we also see this uh, on the tunneling side. Uh, we just built a new uh, product called Open Tunnel that allows to design, uh, you know, a tunnel uh, pretty simply and 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 easily, right? Uh, and it's very, very powerful in that context, right? We we reported from our early adopters up to 80%, uh, you know, design time saving, right? On With this 80%, right? 8-0. Overhead line design, electrification of the transportation the system is definitely a huge part of this, right? Uh, and, uh, and and the interaction with the, the rest of the world as well, you know, this, this whole notion of multimodal and all this has to play a role in this, right? Not only about the cars, right? We want to sort of like go with with transit, with 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 bicycle and all these things, and include those in our designs as well. Uh, model based digital delivery helps that as well in that context, especially when it comes to convince you know our citizens, right? And in that context, it's very very important, right? Yeah. So those all sort of like things that um, we've seen happening out there. Uh, definitely rail and transit being also a big driver for this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought up the transit. That was actually one of the uh, the areas I was thinking is going to be one of those next mainstream, especially because they have so many different uh, pieces moving within the uh, the track design and the um, you know the power and how it all comes together. Um, you know, it's one of those that uh, we we've also seen an early adoption within the planning side. Kyle, you mentioned this. Um, our, our even our conceptual design environmental impact statements, the early planning concept development is now going to required, you know, model-based design services, which I think is a great foundation for uh, where where we're moving towards. Um, so we we talked about the pluses and the, and the positive parts about model-based design. Um, you know, let's let's help out. You know, from the lessons learned, there are some challenges with the the adoption of model-based design. Here, there are some companies out there that are still not really a hundred percent committed to do this. You know, you know what are you know some of the top challenges and how you know how would we advise them based off of some of the lessons learned that you guys have seen, um, you know, to move this forward. And Francois, I'll start with you, you know, yeah. you know, Bentley, I'm sure is getting some, some feedback across the country about, you know, the pushbacks from, from, you know, agencies, AEC industry, you know, what are the biggest challenges you're hearing? What are the lessons learned to say, here's how you guys can get around that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we see um, a lot of adoption of model-based digital delivery, right? Obviously, but it's not everybody that is that is there yet, and it's completely normal with any sort of change 
uh, process that needs to happen in the market. We just want to make sure we're not leaving anyone behind and goes back to education, to, to uh, providing software to schools, uh, to providing uh, you know, uh, you know, all the elements, essentially like anything, uh, it's it, three elements have to come into play, people, process, and technology. Technology is def is, is last because it's probably the least important of all that. And why? Because without processes like, okay, making the model a legal, uh, document, right. Is needed for that. Uh, you also need to train the people. So model, uh, you know, people, uh, process and, and technology have to all come together for it. And frankly, the technology is probably ahead of the, the other elements. And this, the, this is always the case in the world, right? Uh, same with, with the first uh, VHS or beta, you know, uh, you know, they were, they were ahead of their time. And then people saying, what is this thing? And so on. So this, there's a lot of that, uh, you know, everyone, as Kyle mentioned earlier, have to adapt to this. And that's the, not only the designer, it's the con the constructor, the operators, uh, you know, the teachers, uh, you know, I think our, our workforce, our civil engineers have to become more data savvy, more data centric, understanding what data is, understanding what uh, models are, what data models are. And this is, this is a big change. Uh, so this is what contributes to the, uh, the, the, you know, the adoption pace that we're at. Um, to me, it starts with the owners uh, asking uh, for these models to be created, uh, asking for intelligent models to be created, uh, and also understanding that, you know, it comes probably at a cost, right? Um, because you're going to rip the benefit downstream, um, we want to be sure that it's not, um, you know, uh, you know, only... Uh, the designer footing the bill, right? We got to sort of all work together as a society to 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 provide that. Uh, the contractor have to play their part as well, uh, and that's why we created, for example, technologies like Synchro, which are heavy civil centric and three D centric, right? To make it possible for people that work in the construction industry to have tools to work with these models, right? It's great that we're sitting there and with open roads and, and these open bridge and these tools producing these models, but is anybody able to consume those things downstream? And there's a large disparity, right? And and if you are a small contractor in in in, in your own state, Kyle, uh, you know, it's like it's it's you know, you may not have the same means as as the big guy in the big city, right? So we have to sort of make sure everybody is is trained, retrained, and bring everybody uh together in this. So it's a big change management. Uh, through people, process, and technology, right? I, I love the change management side of that. I agree 100%. And it is certainly something that um, change management within organizations and change management as an industry in general, right? It's not just one organization. The entire industry is having to actually have a little bit more foresight to say, we're going to actually be doing this and we're 100% committed to it. I agree. So Kyle, um, from your perspective, you know, what, what are some of the biggest challenges? I mean, you're, you're starting to implement this in an organization and do this digital transformation, the change management, as Francois talked about, you know, it, it's not always the, the positive side. There's, there's some lessons learned that I'm sure that you can actually give the CEOs out there in the world. Uh, what, what are those uh, lessons learned you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the challenges, I, I've seen that if you take any individual who is at some, in some level of a project team, right? They might be fresh out of school, working their first job, learning the CAD software, you know, for the first time, or, or maybe a 20, 30 year uh, veteran of the industry who is, who has grown up with uh, software tools, but maybe they've graduated out of day to day software use. And now they're more in a management role or a reviewer role. Um, and across the whole spectrum in between, I found that the most difficult thing for me, and I, and I've been doing a lot of training recently, uh, since, since joining VHB, I've been, uh, across our offices up and down the East coast doing training on model-based design and that mindset to shift from the plan is the product to the model is the product from which plans can be produced. This is a really hard thing to get around. Uh, not just the idea of it, but applying it day to day. So I walked away from a, a lot of recent projects I've worked on and um, going through a lot of training courses, 
with the feeling that, and actually just to put this in context, you know, I, I think most teams have some expectation. Like if you hire someone brand new to the industry, they're not fully useful right away, right? There is a learning curve before they become uh, fully fully useful to the team and, and they're uh, fully autonomous, that they can work autonomously. And I think that no matter where you are in the industry right now, if you need to pivot from a, from a focus on plans to a focus on modeling, there is going to be a learning curve for you. And getting people to recognize that and understand that it's not going to happen overnight. This is, this is a hard thing to, a hard thing to solve. Um, I, this is a rough number, but I think most daily users that have been trained using any legacy software tools, they probably have a learning curve of somewhere north of 150 hours before they are just as useful as they used to be in those legacy tools. And that could be a hard thing to overcome. Uh, you know, if you're a, a very large firm with 50,000 employees, you might have many, many uh, CAD users, right? That are facing that kind of learning curve. Even if you're a small firm and you have 10, 10 daily CAD users, that's still a proportionally difficult problem for them to solve. Uh, and uh, another thing that I think I just coincidentally am a product of is that I, you know, I graduated college in 2010 and the United States was in a major financial crisis uh, during those years. And many people who graduated with engineering degrees either did not join the workforce as engineers or they joined at a very delayed time, uh, which I say hats off to you, Bailey. This is amazing how, uh, how things have progressed with, with all the Connect software. Uh, but this is also a challenge uh, that uh, I, I see a lot is this gap. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to get to here is that the, the gap between the junior uh, folks in the industry and the senior folks in the industry, this is something that traditionally would have been solved by that mid-level engineer that knows just enough of the engineering and just enough of the software to be a good conduit between, um, you know, uh, everyone in the, in the team and everyone in the workforce. Uh, so I'm just curious on your guys' thoughts, if, uh, how, how you, you know, maybe perceive differently or the same, uh, you know, this, this gap in the transfer of knowledge, both how we use technology and tools to build uh infrastructure projects but the transfer of the engineering knowledge uh and it and how it relates to that software between you know senior senior folks in the industry and junior folks in the industry this is a this in my opinion is maybe the hardest thing to solve and where most of the risk actually lies for a lot of design firms that's a good question Kyle. I mean, from my perspective i think as i said i don't I don't think we should leave anybody behind, whether that's junior or more experienced people. Just bring everybody to the to the fold. Um, to give you an example of the sort of uh, technology and innovation that we're trying to bring to the market through our i2n technology stack, uh, we just recently announced an early adopter on our civil design uh, model validation, advanced civil design validations as part of our project-wise i2n technology. Um, what does it do, right? It's making it accessible for anyone um, to validate a model. It's wanting to have your model in a complex, you know, uh, sort of modeling software like Open Roads. It's great for the expert, but as you mentioned, right? What about our project manager, our uh, business leaders, our clients, and so on? So we just made it um, our design review tools and civil model validation tools are essentially. Uh, you know, civil engineering enable. So you can cut a cross section, you can view a profile, you can validate the super elevation now. And that's a patent we have pending on this. And it's independent of the design software, right? And you mentioned things like the, you know, line of sight analysis. We've also put that in in, in a web-based environment, right? That you just, you you click a link and bang, you know, you can do that validation. And, uh, and then the tools are super simple to use and so on and so on. So we paid attention to this because we do understand, Kyle, what you're saying, right? He, we have our expert that create these models. 
But the QAQC process used to be plan-based. Now we have to reinvent that too, right? How do we know if that model is great, is, is right or not? And do we have to check everything by end? Well, you know, based on input from the, the market and having the chance to work with so many leaders in the world, we're able to sort of say, okay, this is a great need and we're, we're, we're forming a niche around this. And to us, that, you know, is a, the, the part that we can help the most is on technology side because people process and technology, right? That's the part that we, we get involved the most. Uh, but, but obviously we cannot leave anybody behind and we've got to make sure that we make our tools accessible, uh, easy to use, uh, powerful and, and, and then accessible to the schools. Right. And, um, you know, I think, uh, also this, this notion of, um, being able to bring the entire workforce don't leave anybody behind. No, nobody should be disadvantaged by this. And the change in technology actually brings an opportunity for a lot of people. You know, if you if you haven't been exposed to that, you sort of come fresh, and it's it's a nice way of looking at this as well, to bring you know equity in the, in this industry as well in that context. So there's a lot of hope in this, right? Uh, and uh, and and I want to carry that message as well. Let's not leave any any engineers behind. Yeah, oh, it's a great. It's a great question, right? Yeah, you know, we've been challenged with that gap, right? And this goes back to the same same scenario we talked about with the eighty seven transition to CAD, right? It's going to take time. Um, Francois is one hundred percent correct in in starting out with the people, right? It takes time to do that change management, making this making the package available and the software available to all engineers out there. Eventually. When you start to do the training, those trainers will start to be the teachers and the teachers will essentially start to close that gap that you're referring to. So um, it is going to take time to get that educational platform out there. Um, I know Bentley has a, a significant training program out there for actually advancing it. I'd, you know, like to hear a little bit from Francois on that. Um, Kyle, I know that, you know, as part of the integration uh, and transition, um, that VHP is making, we're likewise looking at how do we close that gap and make sure that we, you know, first of all, as you say, don't leave anybody behind. Uh, but we also have to recognize that it is going to take a period of time to essentially deliver this transition. Francois, from your perspective, maybe, you know, some of those educational training platforms that are out there for folks um, that would be listening to say, how would you do this? And Kyle, maybe some of the, you know, the training programs that you're working on. Yeah, maybe take the opportunity to to uh, maybe increase the scope of your question. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about education in general, right? Um, so at Bentley, every colleague, we're very fortunate to have the ability to provide a small amount of money um, to to students and schools in our communities around the world. So every single colleague at Bentley has a little bit of money that they can. Uh, you know, give to the schools. And what, what we do is we gang up as we, okay, 10 of us are going to support this, uh, this, uh, you know, elementary school or that high school and uh, for uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, right? It's really, really key that we start at this young age as well. Uh, then you, you go up a little bit in, in age and, and we support things like the track and ride uh, program uh, that is supported by Ashto and and twenty twenty five DOTs and a whole bunch of engineering uh, contractor. So that's also key. Let's get the kids excited about engineering uh, and technology. And then, as uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, we now offer our software for free to all students and all teachers everywhere around the world, and that includes our open roads technology and so on. And then you're like, and then, and of course we have our uh, training programs uh, offer that, you know, for, for, for anyone that wants to learn our technology. And then the, 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 the cream of the cream, the top of the crop essentially would be our Open Roads Premier Scholar Program. So this Open Roads Premier Scholar Program is, is a tool that we've created and it's using uh, this case study methodology inspired from some of the Ivy League uh, university schools. And this idea of of creating uh, a, a learning environment by doing right and 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 together working on case studies. So not only we, so we train with this premier scholar people that are already sort of very very familiar with the tools, if not expert, and we want to help them sort of see uh, the next the next phase of, of that and form a community of leaders uh, in the industry that will help make a difference, right? Make an impact 
uh, in the world. And every one of these Premier Scholar, I think at the moment there's about 80 of these being trained, they are just amazing contributor to, to uh, design-based uh, model delivery because essentially they are expert in the tools and they also have learned to think critically in that context, right? Augmenting their engineering skills and 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 stimulating these uh, by not providing easy answers, but providing uh, you know an ability to ask the right question, right? And to be able to question things and to push forward in that direction. So really, that that is how we intend to uh, to to help the world advance on the model based this, the digital delivery concept. No, that's fantastic, and and I uh, really relate to the the no person left behind. Uh, idea. Uh, there, there's no other way to be. Uh, if if you if a person wants to participate in the industry, there should be a path for them. Uh, I think that's something that uh, I've tried really hard to communicate uh, in, in all my conversations and training courses is to make sure that that's clear that um, it doesn't matter what your existing experience or skill set is. As long as you want it, let's do this together. Let's move into the next era of the industry and uh, and the value that you have taken a long time to accumulate and uh, and develop in, in your career. This is going to be valuable as well in the next era of the industry. It's just going to look a little bit different, right? Um, so I, I actually uh, try to lead with a lot of the, the training that I do that this is um, actually a philosophy training. Yeah, we're going to push buttons and we're going to create things in the software. But the most important thing that people can get out of training is really how to think. And I take that inspiration from college courses. You know, one of the most important things you get out of a college education is not the memorization of, of formulas and equations. It is how to think, right? So you can apply concepts to the real world after you leave college. You know, that classic, what do you want to be when you grow up question? Uh, for me, that was engineering, right? I, that's what I knew I wanted to be when I was you know, 12, 13 years old. And I think that when you can uh, capture a little bit of that spark in people and channel it uh, into something really useful, like the design tools that we use to, to put uh, projects together, that this can actually um, help people achieve the, their maximum potential you know, in their jobs, in their careers. So I, I like to make sure people see that uh, things can be fun, right? VHB is focused on communities. You know, we, we focus on building the foundation around addressing sustainability, resiliency, and the social equitable impacts on a community. How can model-based design influence those? Um, so I, I think that uh, one thing that is very um, obvious to me is that when we have more time, right? Time is the most valuable resource. So when you can work faster, iterate faster, respond to changes faster, um, share ideas faster, right? Model-based design is a great accelerant of all these things. And the outcome of all those things together is more time. And I've been on many projects where there was something maybe not great that wasn't a fatal flaw, but we, we knew oh, if we could just get one more crack at that problem, we could probably do it a little better, right? And we ran out of time to do that thing. And if you have more time to think through your projects, uh, all of the other values Right. I mean, think about what the core value of, of, of engineering is. It is the safety of the public. Right. So beyond that, though, there's many other values that are that are worth fighting for and designing around. And we have more time to incorporate those things into our projects uh, when the technology speeds everything up. And that's that that time accelerant is the is the, the I think the best way to incorporate um all kinds of other values into designs. Well, then, and I'm absolutely, and to build on what you said, not only you gain time, but also we can make more resilient and sustainable infrastructure, right? Uh, and also greener infrastructure. We have this, this ma major climate change challenge in front of us. We have to adapt as human being. Uh, or, or essentially disappear, right? Uh, and that's the whole fundamental issue of that century. Um, 
and, and, and engineering is at the core of this, right? We got to adapt to the change. And this whole idea there that we have to create these resilient infrastructure and to create greener infrastructure is also really important, right? Uh, we just announced a, a partnership on that front at the COP27 where, where our twin technology is, is helping uh, you know, creating these, these, uh, carbon, uh, less, less carbon, uh, intensive infrastructure. Right. Uh, and so that's very, very key on the equity as well, because we're retooling, because we're going digital, it provides an ability to bring new people to the fold, people that we've never, uh, thought about, and we can bring those people, uh, in the community with us and, uh, and, and all these, these, uh, these advantage. Uh, communities as well, and rethink our contract uh, and rethink our our offerings around this, so that we can bring everybody together and have everyone contribute to this. So, I mean, what you said, Kyle, is very very inspiring. I'm I'm just so excited to go back to work and and uh, continue to advance the world on my little part on the technology to to help people like you guys to to make a huge difference in the in the world. You know, so it's very cool. Yeah, Francois, certainly uh, on behalf of Kyle myself, we appreciate. Um, you being here today, sharing um, the great things that Bentley is doing. One one other question I did want to leave with: Where do you see model based design in ten years from now? You know, if you had to really sh shoot over the bow, and people are actually stressed and challenged with it today, where do you actually see it going in ten, fifteen years? So we can actually really look over the horizon and say, you know, if you had foresight, that's where you need to go. Hey, great, I was at. Um... A conference uh, at the Building Smart Conference in Montreal uh, two weeks ago, and I've asked a question to uh, some of our Department of Transportation customers, and I said, you know, and, and users, and I said, you know, when can I delete my plant production capability for my product, right? And the answer was five to ten years, um, and I think they're right on the money there, and I think. That's what's going to happen, right? This ability of saying, okay, I don't need to produce my plans anymore, or I produce those automatically out of my models, um, is going to be essentially standard for everyone. It won't be even a question, do I do it? Do I not do that? It'll be like, yeah, we don't need to do that. So all that saving goes back into the design itself. So that's for sure there. These models will be smarter, more intelligent, more semantically rich, more connected, um, you know, having this notion, I mean, uh, Dave, you're a transportation planner, right? Having this, this notion of networks in these models, right? And that's so they can be used into uh, the operational world is there as well. Uh, having that notion of 40, 5D integrated in this and, and, and that done being done faster and faster every day, right? Uh, having uh, artificial intelligence making suggestions, right? While you design, oh, designers like you do this, right? That sort of stuff. Uh, parametric design, uh, these things are all technologies that are being looked at into the labs of various software companies uh, to, to really speed things up, right, and to augment the engineering uh, skills that, that, that our people, that our users uh, essentially are able to leverage in there. So it'll be ubiquitous. Everybody will be doing this without even, you know, noticing really and to really improve that sort of as i said that that you know elevating the playing field right this this um this systemic gain in efficiency that we desperately need right it goes from the design to the construction to the operation this whole notion of having an, an infrastructure digital twin and evergreen and all of this and the designer will always play a key role in this because they're going to be imagining they're they're sort of dreamers in a sense engineers right they come up with these this future uh but make it real you know and that's what that's what i love about my job and that's what i love about uh you know helping and serving our our users you know yeah definitely want to delight everybody and leave nobody behind that's the whole goal <laughs> Francois, we truly appreciate yours and Bentley's insight into model-based design. And thank you listeners for tuning in to VHB Viewpoints today. 